Welcome to the Upbeat Podcast, powered by CoChart, a show that's dedicated to providing resources for families impacted by childhood chronic illness. For articles, videos, and show notes, visit our platform at theupbeat.cochart.org. Hi, everybody. I'm Greg, CoChart's Executive Director and the co-host of the Upbeat Podcast, where we talk to parents who have children impacted by chronic illness, experts in the field, and basically just a podcast and blog series that are helpful social and emotional tips for parenting a child uh, with a chronic illness and for families impacted by chronic illness. My guest today is Jenny Winter, who lives in San Diego with her husband, Tim, and their four children. Her oldest child, Caleb, is 14 years old, loves reading, chess, sports, and just over a year ago was diagnosed with leukemia. And so as you all in our audience know, what so often happens is everything in life gets turned upside down. Um, And that's the first thing that happens. And then sort of coping strategies start to emerge. And and those strategies that are so different for every family are the things that we most like to talk about in the upbeat. And so Jenny, thank you so much for joining us and for letting me ask you questions about how your family has been coping. Well, thank you, Greg. I feel honored to be here. So one of the very first things I wanted to ask you just came up when we were chatting before we hit the little red light to record, and that is how uh, you all had been dealing with quarantine and social distancing right before all all of the rest of us had, and, and for a different reason. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what tips and tricks you've learned to adjust to it because you have so much more experience by now than, than the rest of us do. Uh, yes, we are um, not new to quarantine. We are 14 months into quarantine. We only had two weeks we were, where we were not quarantined for the whole year. And so my son Caleb and I have kind of been either hospital or home for a full year. And at first it was really difficult, especially when we would spend long months in the hospital, but you quickly realize that wherever you are, you make that your family and your home. And so when we were in the hospital in quarantine, um, we would just try to find ways that Caleb could relate to the nurses and the doctors because even his, his siblings were not allowed to come to the hospital. And so he really was on his own a lot because of his fragile health. And so we would come up with games that he could play. He would do magic tricks back and forth with his doctors, with the nurses. He was famous for telling riddles. And even today we bring chocolate covered popcorns and fun drinks to the nurses and doctors. And we have riddle contests and we have prizes for whoever wins and So just trying to find ways to relate to the people in the hospital while we're there. And then at home, it's the same way. It's just the six of us all the time. And so like I started this jar and we pull out an activity from the jar each night and it's like Nerf gun wars or a (laughs) basketball game or sleeping in the tent outside. So we the kids love to pull something out of the jar because it gives us something fun to look forward to and also creates these memories, new memories with each other. And so I feel like, you know, for the general public, so this all started sort of two months ago about that, that people started really doing the social distancing and the quarantining. And I'm curious, 
for things like uh, video chatting in particular, I think that's been one of the most interesting things where everybody rushed to video chatting and, and CoachArt moved all of our programs to virtual. And so there was this sort of rush to that. And then right around the one month mark, I felt like you started hearing fatigue from that. And people were saying, oh, I'm so tired of doing everything on video. How did your communication with your family, with friends, et cetera, around the, around the country evolve over the course of the, the you know, a year that, that you all were doing that? Yeah, I think we all now have a love-hate relationship with <laughs> video calls and FaceTime and all because as great as it is, sometimes it can be lacking in the, in the personal. But yes, I, I highly suggest, especially with children, even with our younger children, when they didn't see their brother for months at a time, we'd have a specific day where they would call in and be able to FaceTime him at the hospital and it would kind of bring them in. And the same for all of us, just having some, some moments of human contact through Zoom or FaceTime or whatever avenue you're using is, is so good. My kids know that at two o'clock after they're done with their schoolwork, they can FaceTime or call their friends on Zoom each day and having a specific time has helped them because it's something for them to look forward to, but it also gives their, their friends time to plan, their parents know to plan for that as well. Um, so that's been really helpful. But also we've gotten back to like writing letters and sending packages. Oh, that's And cool. I kind of feel like it's a lost art. Totally. But my kids have started really enjoying uh, writing letters to their friends and making little arts and crafts projects that they can send to them. And uh, so that, that is something that um, has been a gift to them as well so to communicate in that way. Oh, that's great. So I want to, one of the questions that we're always curious about is sort of communication throughout a family, especially at, at different ages, when a child is diagnosed and, and sort of as it progresses. And so when Caleb got sick and, and was diagnosed, you had three other children who were all 10 and below. So how did you and your husband, Tim, communicate with Caleb about what he was going through? How did you communicate with the other children? What were some of the strategies at, at all of those different ages that you employed for how to talk about what was happening? Yeah, I would say, so for my youngest three kids, I call them the lost children. Oh. And I feel like that's fairly applicable for a lot of kids that um, have a sibling with a chronic illness because their world is thrown into a blender and turned on high. Mm -hmm. And they quickly learn to do a lot and on their own and, and raise themselves in a lot of ways. And my heart ached for them as much as it ached for my oldest son when he was diagnosed with cancer. But one thing that really helped us is when we found out about Caleb's diagnosis, I came home 48 hours later and sat down with all the kids. And my husband and I decided to approach it from a scientific and emotional standpoint, which I highly suggest because every child is so different and digests things differently. Mm -hmm. So what we did is, is we sat down with them and we said, here's what's happening to Caleb's body. And I actually had the doctors take a picture of Caleb's blood cells so I could show them how the bad blood cells were overtaking the good blood cells. And we explained to them mm -hmm. exactly what was happening in his body and why they weren't going to see him for a number of months because they weren't up, allowed up at the hospital and, and that his journey was going to be for three years. So how life was going to change and 
So we explained it scientifically. Also, we explained it to them that way so that when they got questions from their friends, they could tell them because there are lots of questions, especially when Kayla went, went bald. Um, that was a hard moment for a lot of our children's friends mm. and uh, put a lot of fear in them. And so they started asking a lot more questions. Um, the next approach we took after we explained to them exactly what was happening scientifically to his body was dealing with the emotions of it all. See, their world was just completely changed. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they, we went from a very comfortable, stable American life to their mother being gone for weeks and months. I would come home on Fridays to see them, but often there were weeks where I wasn't allowed to come home because of the quarantine. Mm -hmm. um, we do a hybrid program, so three days a week I homeschooled them. Well, now a complete stranger was coming in and would be with them three full days a week, someone they'd mm -hmm. never met before. They had to get rid of all of their pets. Oh, they, wow. um, you know, they, they, when their brother left them, he looked like a pretty normal teenager. And the first time they saw him again, he was in a wheelchair with wires hanging out everywhere and had lost lots and lots of weight and lots of hair. When they hear the word cancer, you know, there's that fear. Uh, they've known people who have struggled with and passed away from that. And so, so we sat down and we dealt with all of those things. Mostly we just told them how important they are to us and that even though life looked different, our love for them would not change. And that we've never loved Caleb because he was healthy or not. We, we love Caleb because he's ours and their love for him won't change. And so just explaining to them, we recognize your lives are different now. There will be, you know, different people will pick you up from school every day and different people will take you to school every day. And daddy still has to keep his job so he can't be home with you. And mommy has to be in the hospital with Caleb so she can't be home. So it, it really was a complete life shift for them. But I think they rocked it. I mean, they, they're, they amaze me. So oh, they've, they've held hear. strong and there've been some happy moments and some sad moments and some very funny moments because of uh, them kind of being on their own this year. They're doing great. And it's interesting from all of the parents that we've talked to, I think everybody, when they're communicating this, it really is the scientific conversation that needs to happen and the emotional conversation that needs to happen. But I, I think you're the first person that we've talked to who really named both of those as such and said, now we're going to have this very scientific conversation and now we're going to have a conversation that's not about the scientific part at all. Did that distinction, was that most important and really just a part of that first conversation or did that continue to drive how you thought about and communicated it, what was happening with them all throughout the process? Because it's a really yeah, interesting one. It was. It, it's been really helpful because like when there's an emergency, we have to get up at two in the morning and rush Caleb to the emergency room. The kids will wake up the next morning and mom and Caleb are gone and they want to know what happened. And I'll say, well, we're, we're going to be spending another month in the hospital and here's why. Caleb's mm -hmm. blood did this. And in order for him to live, his blood has to do this or, you know, explaining it. And then I'll explain the best I can what their next month will look like without us there and reaffirm to them, I recognize that you are feeling sad. I recognize you might be angry. I recognize that this is hard. And I want you to know I feel all those things too. 
but yeah, it's been very helpful. And also our oldest son, Caleb, he is very uh, scientific in his thinking. He was actually studying the body systems when he was diagnosed. Oh, wow. And the beauty and curse of having a teenager with cancer is that they know everything that's happening. Mm -hmm. He is very well aware of side effects and percentages and timelines. And if there's a, a mistake made with medicine, he's able to correct the nurses or doctors and say, actually, you changed that last week. Here's what wow. you changed it to. And he's, you can't hide it really from a teenager. And so mm -hmm. you just have to dive deep and be all in with them because there's, they know. Yeah. That's really interesting as well. And then, you know, talking about how you all communicated this within your family, there are those sort of concentric circles of your, your closest family, distant relatives, the, the general population, et cetera, going all the way out to the broadest of those. I understand you used uh, CaringBridge or, or one of the journaling platforms. Can you talk a little bit about how that was helpful for you in your journey? Yes, I, I am so thankful for that. I was able to express emotions and needs through CaringBridge and tell funny and, and scary moments in our journey. And it allowed people to be a part of what's happening, part of Caleb's story. And it's allowed people to relate to him. I think most people feel afraid when they hear that your child has been diagnosed with a chronic illness or a disease. And things like CaringBridge have really encouraged people to not be as fearful, to mm -hmm. be able to uh, tell riddles back to him when he sends them riddles through CaringBridge or get excited about his halfway through his first year party and they send gifts and but it's also a good avenue of communication. We had such an amazing support group. You know, one friend was in charge of childcare. So when we were on the east side of the hospital, I, I never had cell service. So there would be days where I'd have no idea who had my child and where they were. And so one friend would be in charge of childcare. One would be in charge of, of getting groceries to the house. One helped organize cleaning the house when Caleb would come home and everything had to be sanitized. And um, so it was a great avenue for that as well. That's, that's fantastic and really interesting thinking about how before those types of tools, everyone, how much more in the dark people in, in, you know, families' networks must have been about what was happening. And it's already hard, like you said, to know what to say, how to communicate, but especially when you don't have that information. And so that's, that's a really interesting element of it about how much, you know, taking something that's really hard to, to know how to communicate to a family that's going through this, but making it a little bit easier by providing the information, making it online, et cetera. So, you know, we talked about the, the impact that it had on your other children. And so what are some other things that you've been able to do and figure out how to help them feel included in, in what's going on and, you know, address that lost children phenomenon? Yeah, I think their first point of contact with Caleb after he was diagnosed and they hadn't seen him for a while, um, they, they weren't allowed to go up to his room, but um, he was allowed to, we were allowed to wheelchair, wheel him down we knew that that first moment they would see him would be really hard for him. And so, and I think every time that children go to the hospital or 
uh, see them coming back from the hospital, it's difficult for them because they look different, they feel different, they act different. And I think preparing them ahead of time for that is important. So uh, before they went the first time to see him, I had them all write him letters and draw pictures of what they were thinking, things they missed. I also had them each write out a couple of questions they had for him. Mm. And so when we wheeled him down and the kids got to see him for the first time, they immediately were afraid. And I said, mm. it's the same Caleb. He looks different. He's got a lot of lines and, you know, he, he he's in a wheelchair, but he's, he's your same brother. And it loosened him up a little and they, they got a little bit closer. And then I said, now show them the pictures you drew. And, and they, they showed him pictures and, and then, um, I said, now ask him the questions you have. And so my, my daughter, who was six at the time, she, she crawled up in his lap on the wheelchair and she said, Caleb, why is this happening to you? Oh. And I, I didn't know that she was going to ask that question. And I think my husband and I both in took air and held it at the same moment because we were so nervous about the words that would come out of his mouth because he's a teenage boy and he's just found out he may never play sports again and that he doesn't know how long he will live and that he's he's missing so much of life and 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 he 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 sat her on his his lap and he quoted this verse from the first chapter of James he said consider it joy when you face trials because your trials produce perseverance and perseverance produces maturity and he quoted this verse about wow. how he was going to be stronger because of what he was going through. He was looking ahead. And of course, I teared up and cried. And he explained to her how when we go through bad things, it makes us better and it makes us stronger. And that moment was so precious for all of us because it helped us to realize he's in a good mind space. He's got a good outlook but it also helped his siblings to hear what he was thinking and then mm -hmm. learn from him and the struggles he's going through. And so um, I do highly suggest that people have their kids express their emotions in some way, whether it's through writing or questions they're thinking of or pictures. My daughter still draws pictures of Caleb in his wheelchair throwing up and wow. she pastes it on our front door so that when people come over, she's so afraid that when he, when people come over, they will get him sick. So she wants them to know ahead of time, you have Aww. to be very careful because my brother is not well. And it's just kind of part of her way of expressing her fear, but also protecting her brother. Yeah, that's really beautiful. So you just mentioned the reaction that you and, and your husband, Tim, had to that moment. I want to ask a little bit about your all's relationship, that that's something that as we talk to families, that, that a diagnosis tests essentially all of the bonds with, within a family. And what have been some of the tips and tools and tricks that you all have learned for staying connected through a test like this? Yeah, I do feel that hearing that your child, basically hearing that your child is, is dying and and needs care immediately is the worst that can be thrown at a marriage. Mm -hmm. And you have to decide quickly whether you're gonna fight 
together or fight apart. Hmm. And Tim and I said, we're in this together. We recognize we will spend months apart where we're not under the same roof. We will have about 30 minutes alone a week, if that. But we, we're going to fight this together. There are four things that we did that I really believe have kept our marriage together. Every time we see each other, the first thing is every time we see each other, we took a walk. So when he, every Friday after work, you know, he'd come to the hospital and he'd spend one night a week with Caleb and I'd go home to see the other kids if we were allowed. And we would, we would walk that hospital hall in circles over and over and over because there were so many decisions we have to make. You know, if we give them this chemotherapy, it could cause brain damage or paralysis. If we, if we go this other direction, it's, you know, what, what are the options here? Um, how's Caleb's mental health? How are the other children doing mentally? And there are decisions you need to make, just the two of you, that your other people and your children don't need to be involved in. And so we highly suggest take a walk around the block or a walk around the hospital floor Mm -hmm. and spend some time alone, even if it's just 10 or 15 minutes a week. The next thing we found, the second thing we found that's so helpful is to say out loud things we're thankful for. There is so much to be afraid of, and there are so many what ifs, and so much has changed all of the sudden. But if we said out loud to each other 10 things we were thankful for that week, you know, the grace of a nurse holding Caleb's hand when they couldn't get his line in, the, mm -hmm. the uh, yummy salad at the salad bar that day mm -hmm. at the cafeteria, you know, just little things that made a difference. Be saying that out loud kind of helped both of us to change our mindset from sad to thankful. Mm -hmm. The third thing I would suggest is when you can't reach out and these first years, and for many people, many years into a chronic illness, uh, when you can't reach out, let other people reach in. Do not mm. be afraid to accept help or ask for help if you need it. You know, before we lived a life where we were able to get most things done on our own, and I had the illusion of control in my brain, and now I realize not only did I not have control, but I absolutely have no control now over daily happenings and even many decisions that have to be made. But allowing people to walk with you in this and help in any way they can, being humble enough to accept that, I would highly suggest. And the last and most important is you have to give each other grace. There were days, like the first day Caleb was diagnosed, I had talked to three doctors before we got him to up to the emergency in the hospital. So I knew a lot more about what was happening and I fell apart that first day. I couldn't ask mm. questions. I couldn't hear what was being said, but Tim was solid as a rock. And the next day when they started giving us percentages and numbers and my husband's a number guy, he started to fall apart and mm. I was able to listen and ask the important questions. So you're going to make mistakes. You're going to cry when your cereal's soggy, but really you're not crying because your cereal's soggy. You're crying because they just told you that things are not going well with your son's heart and we have to do all this more months and years of testing. And you have to give each other grace. And we, we both firmly believe in the example that, that Jesus set in 
and giving loving people most when they deserved it the least. And Mm. there have been moments in this year where I have lost it and Tim has still shown me love. And that has been such an amazing example and has held us strong. Wow. That's really powerful. You know, those are exactly the types of things that the more that we talk to parents and that they say, here's our sort of, here's what we've come to as the pillars of what get us through this. You know, I think that that's gets to the very heart of what we're hoping to do with this series is talk to families and and find out. And a lot of families, depending on where they are in the stage and what their personal process is, don't necessarily boil it down like that and say that we've decided these are sort of our pillars but just in talking to them you sort of get a sense of what they are but it's amazing that you have kind of coalesced around them like that and that's that's a really powerful idea jenny i want to thank you so much before we sign off i was curious just when you said how much uh you know riddles have been a part of caleb's can you tell us one of his favorite riddles for people to to think about, not to put you on the spot. <laughs> okay, let me see. All right, a man, okay, so this is one of the easy riddles, Greg, so listen. Okay, this one is okay good. Okay, I, so I, mean, I think I at least need the novice level one. Yes, if there is a new der- nurse or doctor, Caleb will tell them this easy riddle to get them feeling good about themselves. And okay. then he'll tell them a hard one. <laughs> he works up <laughs> so to the hard one. So them. Uh-huh. But um, one of them is a man was on a 30-foot ladder. He fell back but didn't get hurt. Why? Greg, he I believe He was on a 30-foot ladder. Yeah. He's, on, he's on the bottom rung? Yes! Good job! Boom! Nice. You have passed the first level of riddles. Now, don't give me the hard one because that's going <laughs> to stump me. And then I'll, and then I'll go. My confidence will... will Man, listen, we had some fierce competitions. First, boys <laughs> versus girls. Then it was doctors versus nurses. Now oh. it's Caleb versus everybody. And Caleb I versus the world. That's great. Well, Jenny, thank you so much. This has been an absolute delight talking to all families. It's so, such a, a inspiring and informative perspective bringing experience. And we're so grateful for you taking the time the way your, your family is handling this. And obviously the way Caleb is from the story that you told about when he reconnected with his siblings is absolutely amazing and something that everybody can learn from, whether they're a family impacted by chronic illness or not. So we're so grateful and and appreciate you taking the time and telling your your story and being part of the Upbeat and and the CoChart community. Yeah, well, we believe in what you're doing and I just appreciate you allowing us to be a part of it. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. You can find more content like this at theupbeat.coachart.org, where we have blog posts, podcasts, and YouTube clips, as well as a Facebook group that you can join and share your own helpful advice with other families who are dealing with social and emotional questions about kids going through chronic illness. So we hope to see you there. Thanks so much.